Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Coast to Coast podcast. My name is Kyle. And I'm Misha. And today we're going to be talking about episodes 9 and 10 of The Last Dance on ESPN and kind of just the series as a whole, what we thought. Um, but it's obviously been quite a bit since we've released an episode. So what have you been up to, Kyle? Yeah, um, I finally got all situated with my my new house. That's kind of why our delay has happened with internet issues and um Mm -hmm. then we had the holiday weekend come up so we were kind of apart for that and so yeah now we're back to everything and uh hopefully get things back on track but other than that not much going on how are you doing doing good um been getting back to work been spending a lot of time watching movies and tv we actually just bought a random season of cops on Amazon Prime Video. Nice. And that's been thoroughly entertaining. Like, we've basically been binge-watching Cops episodes. Uh, and so that's kind of been fun to fill the time, um, especially since Last Dance has passed and sports has more or less still been pretty absent from our lives, you know, besides the um, match between Tiger Woods and Peyton Manning and Phil Mickelson and Tom Brady that happened the other day. But did you watch any of that? I did. I watched probably the first hour. Um, I enjoyed it. I, it. It's not something that's going to keep my attention for four hours mm-hmm. on a Sunday afternoon, but it definitely made me feel a lot better about, uh, about my own golf game. Yeah, totally. There were quite a few. <laughs> like the first couple of holes, Tom Brady just looked like an average Joe out there, which mm-hmm. definitely can kind of boost people's confidence a little bit. But Oh, for sure. Yeah, it was fun to watch. Um, but should I get into this? uh last dance stuff yeah for sure um i guess you want to kick it off yeah so episodes nine and ten we're gonna kind of do a little bit more of a high level glance at both of the episodes but uh episode nine essentially showed the kind of struggle against the utah jazz in the 97 season um and in the eastern conference finals against the indiana pacers in 98 it also really fixated on Steve Kerr and his role in, you know, the team dynamic of those that dynasty and also his role in basically winning uh, their fifth title on mm-hmm. Game Week Shot. Um, and then episode 10 basically detailed their last very gruesome and tiring sixth championship against the Utah Jazz and kind of some final reflections on um, like what, what could have been maybe whose decisions were made where, and then the different people's takes on them. But, um, I, I, I really enjoyed the last two episodes. How about you? Yeah, I did. And, um, I saw a few reviews online about people saying that they felt this was too long of a series. And mm-hmm. I think it was a fine time. I don't think it went too long. I don't think it was too short. I think it told, what it needed to tell i mean there's some stuff that Mm -hmm. um i guess wasn't completely necessary but i think it feels important that the last dance doesn't seem built to kind of change anyone's opinion of michael jordan for better or for worse i guess um it's just kind of his his journey through his career and again it's hard to look at it not through his lens but i still i still enjoyed it and i think that 
um, you know, there's a lot of time spent on the fact that no matter how good he was and like, no, no matter how much talent that he had, mm-hmm. that he really was never going to win six championships without the rest of his team. Definitely. Yeah. I, I definitely understood the critiques at first of it being a little drawn out. And initially I was willing to forgive that because of the absence of sports in our lives. Um, but and mainly to do with all the, the flashbacks, you know, the, the narrative like timeline kept kind of jumping around from decade to decade. And at first it seemed a little bit superfluous, but ultimately the flashbacks were intended to kind of characterize different players or add context to certain situations, which ultimately deem them pretty necessary. Yeah. Um, in terms of like the overall effect of the documentary, I, I kind of disagree with you that the deck documentary wasn't in like trying to change people's perspectives on Michael Jordan. Um, obviously people regard him as like one of the greatest ever, if not the greatest. Um, but I do think at points, and I've said this on previous episodes, it seemed a little apologistic and it was like Michael's vessel to somewhat reconcile with the aggressive behavior towards his teammates that he displayed throughout his career. Um, and I mean, even like Kendrick Perkins came out recently and was saying that like, if you watch the series, it's like they make everything makes Michael look like a hero and they sort of villainize other ancillary people like Isaiah Thomas or, I mean, Jerry Krause gets thrown to the bus immediately in the first episode. Yeah. Um, so I'd say it's not entirely devoid of like editorial spin, but, um, you know, besides all that, the one thing I really marveled at and like take a step back is like making documentaries is really hard, but props to like the documentarians for this show, because like all of the clips, all of the newspaper clippings, all of you know, the sports center um, commentary that they had to basically dig up and sort of craft the story that was so compelling just must've taken so much effort and so much coordination. It really was an impressive feat of like of a documentary. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to me, it, the biggest kind of takeaway and I guess one of the biggest open questions from the last dance for me is what it would take to put together a team this dominant over mm-hmm. this period of time again you know like could you possibly keep guys on a team together long enough to have this be successful and sure if a scotty pippen as we saw doesn't get into a bad seven-year contract that lets the mm-hmm. bulls keep him cheaply does you know michael jordan really get the support he needs to be michael jordan in the first right. place and i guess right another way to put that is no matter how good you know say lebron james is it mm-hmm. seems like he was probably never going to win six championships in eight years with the same team. Right. So that alone, I yeah. guess, is pretty remarkable. And even the championship that he won in Cleveland was all that more impressive because he didn't have that cast around him. Mm-hmm. But when you think of his first championships with the Heat, you know, he, he didn't have scrubs around him. Like he was playing with Chris Bro- Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade. So mm-hmm. there was a degree of that. And even, even if you think about like the Warriors dynasty, they stayed together because guys were willing to take pay cuts. So it, yeah, it's definitely possible. It was just such a compromise. Mm-hmm. 
What did you think about the reflections at the end by, you know, Michael, Jerry Reinsdorf, Phil Jackson on what happened and like why they couldn't keep the team together? Um, well, I think the final episode provides like it provided the best example of this, um, of the story kind of, I don't know, but like it, it juxtaposed the like narrative of Jordan being content to go out on top mm-hmm. with like the intense regret and emptiness he seems to feel about how another victory, another championship was taken out of his hands by the front office. Sure. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of finger pointing by Jordan throughout the whole documentary, but mm-hmm. um, this one to me felt like probably the most warranted. Yeah. Uh, because the way he broke it down and explained, you know, if you just went and asked Steve Kerr um, and Kukoc and Scotty and Dennis and like, hey, do you guys want to go for another one? It like it, his argument for why they could have stayed together was very compelling and made a lot of sense. And I think it, it to me just made me realize how much of a challenge like corporate communication must be between parties like NBA players, their agents, an owner, a general manager, you know, you, you think like if they just got in the same room together, maybe the Bulls would have won one or two more championships together. And Jerry Krause gets painted as the primary, you know, antagonist, I guess, of all this, but like scapegoat for <laughs> the, the last dance, I guess. Yeah. But the end of episode 10, like we saw a pretty good glimpse into how Jerry Reinsdorf thought it was, as he said, suicidal to bring everyone back for, you know, a list of reasons. And, you know, and clearly Jordan is, was still visibly upset and not getting Mm -hmm. a chance to go for a title number seven, but it makes sense from an owner's perspective. um, I mean, they were probably going to be super expensive and yeah, all those reasons I don't think were unwarranted. And, it's also hard when you have your GM say something at the beginning of the season, like this is your last season, this is your last mm-hmm. dance. And then like, Oh, well we won. Well, let's just sign one year contracts like that. I don't, I think Jordan said he would and everyone else would sign a one year contract. But for sure. me, it's just like, okay, well now you only want us back because I guess you won, but right. And I guess that does kind of, show how much media pressure plays in to these type of decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost like the media is like an one agent in, you know, trying to figure this out and trying to keep a team together. And anything you say in the press is like record is like a record kept against you. Right. Um, but, yeah. Th- this, this whole thing was fun there. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there were some elements of this doc that you and I weren't particularly huge on and, mm-hmm. you know, it brought back a bunch of dialogue around Jordan that I kind of saw as insufferable. And But <laughs> while it did not particularly, like, I don't, I wasn't asking for this documentary. I wasn't, sure. you know, I just saw that it was being produced and I really enjoyed it. And I think that, um I think in all fairness, the director, Jason Hare, how do you pronounce his last name? Yeah, Hare. Hare. Hare I'm not sure. Um, he did a great job with with the material that he had. Again, you said documentaries are not easy to make. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and if you weren't a big basketball fan, 
and you know we're all locked inside because of this pandemic and if anything gave you endless clips of michael jordan and and 100%. basketball so yeah and, and it, you know from a someone who's not a basketball fan's perspective most of my roommates are not into the to the sport um you know shannon has learned a lot about it basically through me because i'm such a basketball fan mm-hmm. um but like my roommate two of my roommates um are like sort of you know knowledgeable about basketball but not super into it and they really enjoyed watching the documentary with me and i'd be like watching it on my laptop and they'd be like hey you should throw that on the tv because it the the drama that they inject into what was you know credibly a very dramatic real life uh like series of events was super compelling um and yeah a lot of credit to jason i'm gonna try the last name mm-hmm. <laughs> um but i think what was really notable especially in these last two episodes you know there were hundreds of people interviewed for this documentary but notably absent was a lot of the jazz players um you know john stockson had probably like a 30 second clip where he you know didn't really fall under the tires of the like michael jordan is the greatest train and we also were missing carmelo to a degree there too all right yeah i thought it was um let's i lost my spot my notes um it seems like it was and even today it, it has become it seems like very popular to hate Reggie Miller, the sure. broad the broadcaster, which <laughs> which I think is a bad take because Reggie Miller he generally like loves basketball and he makes that clear during games, um, 100%. which something that you know can't be said about most commentators I, on national broadcast. Sure, um, you know I think part of this is also because Reggie Miller made it very easy to hate him when he was mm-hmm. a player and yeah, he's very like boisterous. Personality. He, yeah, he was like it seemed like one of the ultimate like irritants of the league when he was playing. Totally. You know, he he flopped and talked and like hit these like crazy shots. Um he was just like the one ultimate of those guys like, just like gets under people's skins. Yeah, their, like, yeah, tremendous nuisance, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um but I think having Reggie open the last week's episodes by talking about his battles with Michael Jordan Mm-hmm. And having Jordan um, on the iPad watch the 1993 fight with Reggie, I think was terrific. Yeah. Um, and no one seen iPad watching has become such a meme too. Yeah, I think we just need another episode of just Michael Jordan watching people talk about him and just having yeah. him like react. But um, yeah, it seems like no one is more comfortable with admitting how annoying they were than Reggie. Who like happily sure. like he like smiles and like notes that he gave Jordan like a little shove before that game winner in the conference right. finals and yeah he definitely yeah. like accepted his role mm-hmm. and he was he was a terrific sports villain in a way but again that only worked because he was so good as a player all while being obnoxious mm-hmm. um, yeah I mean he was the three point field goal like leader of all time before. Mm-hmm. Ray Allen overtook him. Yeah, and like imagine for a moment like being so good at anything that you can call yourself Michael Jordan, you know, Black Jesus. Black Jesus, yeah, I have that <laughs> in my notes as well. And then Reggie Miller referring to you as such like for the rest of your life. Yeah, I mean, how like self-righteous and sacrilegious do you have to get? Because it was Jordan that said that to Reggie, right? 
Yeah, he said, I forget that, like, don't call him, call me Black like, Jesus or something. Yes, something like that. Yeah. Um, I'm Black Jesus. I also thought the, uh, the interactions between him and Larry Bird were also really interesting. And there was one particular moment that's kind of blown up as well where Michael Jordan, I guess you could call it talking trash, just, like, blatantly insults Larry Bird with words that I wouldn't be comfortable putting on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um which to me didn't seem like trash talk. It just seemed like blatant disrespect, but Larry's just so stoic. It was interesting to see him just kind of, <laughs> yeah, like, just like eat, eat it and mid dap and then just like mm-hmm. kept it moving. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, it was interesting. One of the things of the film that stood out to me was the flu game. Yeah. Like his trainer and friend insisted, you know, it was really like a really bad pizza game right um i don't yeah and and people have kind of spoken out to reject that theory and if you think about it it doesn't make a whole lot of sense like why (laughs) i'm very skeptical of believing this that believing that he was poisoned by a pizza place yeah yeah I, i i was definitely too i mean you know, they kind of try to provide that backstory for the flu game, which was, of course, like a pretty legendary game. And you could just see how weary MJ was on the court. But um, like if you're going to if you're going to poison a guy's pizza, why would you send like five people all like acting weird to do it to right. his hotel room, you know? And like if you were suspicious, like maybe like have one of your buddies like take one for the team and see if the pizza was okay. Yeah. And then, like beyond that, why why did they order a pizza and make it clear it was for Michael Jordan, like right. while in Utah, knowing like there might be some potential foul play? I guess. Yeah, somebody didn't think it through, but it made for a pretty legendary moment. Yeah. Um, I thought the Steve Kerr backstory was really interesting because, um, I don't know if you knew the, the whole story about his dad getting killed before the documentary, but it definitely drew such a strong parallel. Um, to Michael Jordan's story of loss, which is really interesting. Yeah, and I think it can sometimes get lost, maybe for people who aren't too caught up in the NBA, in the fact mm-hmm. that, you know, he's the coach of the NBA's current evil empire, but yeah. Steve Kerr as a player was exactly what the Bulls needed for that second three-peat. He's right. like the perfect, respectable role player who was like always there for the team when he was called upon. No. And had earned Michael's respect. He, yeah, he also got punched in the face by Jordan and seemed <laughs> relatively <laughs> cool with it. So right. God bless him. And then of course, yeah. like you said, the whole, the father parallels and mm-hmm. that was of course a tragedy. And, um, it, and instead of being one of the leagues, like more graceful and thoughtful people, um, you know, he kind of got into it and really kind of was able to channel those, the thing that happened to him with his dad and mm-hmm. just kind of focus that into his game to get better. And as right. you, as you said, he didn't have any interest, uh, no scouts in high school, got a letter from Arizona, like, Oh yeah. Super late. And, and the pictures yeah. of him in college and in high school, he just looked like a baby. Mm hmm. He still is a pretty like young looking dude for being in 
probably his fifties, but oh yeah, um, I've always really enjoyed listening to Steve Kerr. I think he's got like a really um, like poised kind of aura about him, and always has been really well spoken, and also not afraid to really like speak out on social issues as well. Um, sometimes maybe a little bit of an overextension mm-hmm. on his part, but um, I've always always enjoyed Steve Kerr. Yeah. I think it was really cool to see Jordan make sure his lead security guard, Gus, got some shine yeah. in the documentary. Um, that was a really cool story. Yeah, he opened up about how Gus was like a father figure to him, and um, Gus's wife even explained how he would go see Jordan in the middle of the night, like when he was struggling. And mm-hmm. it's, again, it's one of those rare glimpses at the human side of Michael Jordan, which as I've kind of mentioned before was something the documentary offered a very few times. And, and it was one of those moments that were, I think those moments that showed his human side were the most strong. Definitely. Yeah. Showed his compassion and his ability to kind of turn off Mm -hmm. the sort of like robot Michael Jordan that he is on the court. Yeah. Yeah. Really interesting. I think um, the whole Dennis Rodman NWO wrestling story during the 98 finals. It's not, it wasn't new to me. Um, I've heard that story before, but it's always a delight to kind of hear the people involved, like discussing that bizarre, like couple of days. (laughs) Yeah. He definitely carved out like a pretty precarious relationship with the bulls. Like Mm -hmm. um, they, they were really able to tolerate a lot and gave him a lot of slack. Um, and it was surprising. Like, it just goes to show like how valuable the player that he was, that despite him taking like an unapproved leave of absence, that they didn't like suspend him and like had basically had him play because mm-hmm. he needed that defensive and rebounding presence. Yeah. And the documentary kind of handled it was showing the practice footage, like from the next day and, Phil Jackson and Michael Jordan were both kind of joking about it. Yeah. Um, I guess, I guess that just goes to show what it must be like trying to manage player personalities. You can't just kind of be outright like a college coach, um, like disciplining Mm -hmm. somebody because then they just be like, well, I'm not going to play or, you know, right. Forget you. I have my own agency in this situation. Mm -hmm. We got, um, cool clip of young Leo backstage congratulating mj after they won that was cool pretty cool um (laughs) even though mj was said he was excited to meet the man with the iron face instead of the man in the iron mask (laughs) right (laughs) um that was funny and then uh another another interview from chicago former resident barack obama right (laughs) Yeah, we also, we kind of touched on Dennis a little bit, but I forgot about the chase through the United Center. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was interesting. The media, they're vultures, man. Yeah, totally. Just, like, that was such an intense sequence. The way, like, whoever was documenting the chase for the Bulls, it was mm-hmm. so interesting. Um, and so cinematic, the way you see Dennis disappear through the doors, mm-hmm. and then everyone pops out behind him, and he's, like, already in a truck like yeah. doing a burnout that was so funny i do think uh-huh. that um one aspect of this 
that I wish um, that I wish the last dance was afforded more room to dig into was kind of the cultural impact of the bulls. I know we, we saw some yeah. of it, but like, you know, we get into this a lot with Jordan specifically. And I think Dennis Rodman gets some shine, like kind of in this topic as well. But mm-hmm. you know, the Chicago bulls were the biggest team in the world during these years. And I think, Right. It would have been an interesting thing to explore a little more. Yeah, they they definitely had such a strong cultural impact. And I feel like they did it to some degree. Like when they, you know, the trip to the Olympics, they showed the star power. Um, and Space Jam, you know, obviously is one of those mm-hmm. things that sort of cements his, um, like, global fl- global fame. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, they like as much as I rambled before in previous episodes about like the lack of narrative focus. They definitely had a pretty strong, strict focus, um, and I feel like it included like just enough of that sort of like star power um, aspect, you know. And like we didn't get like the Wizards stint that he did. Like mm-hmm. I thought we might, you know, it stayed pretty true to what kind of story he was trying to tell. Yeah. Um, yeah. The one thing I also thought was interesting um, was like the hostility of the Utah fans. Yeah. Uh, which is very similar to like some of the situations we've seen, like with Russell Westbrook getting targeted with like racial slurs in previous games. Um, it was like, I-, I wonder why they've developed that like cult of like fans that just are like crazy (laughs) i guess in utah i guess salt lake city more specifically they really only have the jazz they only have Mm -hmm. basketball so when all your energy and all your focus is like thrown into one pot which is the jazz like i guess you take it that much more serious I know it's not like a New York or like an LA or even Chicago. Like everyone, you know, you're a Bulls fan, you're a White Sox fan, maybe you're a Blackhawks fan. Right. You, you aren't like, like if they only had the Bulls, like the fans would be probably crazy as even well. Even more rabid. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, most of the major cities like LA has quite a few sports teams, New York, mm-hmm. uh, even Philly, you know, has the slew of teams that I enjoy rooting for. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess not only the fact that they just had the one basketball team, but from, I was actually reading because we obviously saw Jerry Sloan passed away a couple days ago, who was the pretty long tenured, um, coach of the jazz, I think from like 1989 to like 2000 or something like that, the team with the best NBA record in terms of like wins and losses was actually the Utah jazz. Hmm. Um, surprising enough yeah um, probably something to do with the last couple of years in the 90s with Jordan's departure but um you know they, they were obviously a team to cheer for right yeah they i mean they're kind of making their way I, me and my dad were kind of talking about it um you know the bulls were so dominant in those years and you know michael jordan left and really since he left they haven't really been in any sort of championship shape i know they've got pretty close like with the like the ben gordon 
Joakim Noah days. They yeah. were pretty playoff material then, but Derrick Rose's MVP MVP season. Yeah, but I don't think they've ever. They never got. I don't think they even got to like a conference final game. No, I don't know if they did because in their best year was the year that Derrick Rose tore his ACL against the eight seed Sixers, mm-hmm. which was so tragic. Um, and now they're you know one of the more like laughing stock type of teams in the league. So yeah. Um, and then meanwhile, I mean the Jazz have kind of been a pretty consistent presence in the playoffs at least in this decade yeah um mm-hmm. so interesting to see yeah but did you have any um final thoughts on the last dance um no i mean i, I really enjoyed it i feel like at some point i'll probably rewatch. yeah um, there's just so much detail and so many fun stories and it's just like so, it's so easy to sit and watch through mm-hmm. all those episodes um so I, I really enjoyed it it definitely helped fill the gap that was missing in my soul when uh, the effects of the coronavirus basically brought organized sports to a halt um and i think it was a really compelling story about one of the greatest in the game that you and i both really love um and i'm looking forward to kobe's and lebron's and what other type of uh documentaries we might have waiting mm-hmm. in the wings yeah for sure um you know jordan and the bulls created such a revolution i guess that will probably never be duplicated in sports i don't mm-hmm. no matter like how great i don't think the next player or team may have been whether you know it was kobe and the lakers steph curry and the warriors even lebron um i don't think no single player I don't think will ever accomplish what Michael Jordan did as a whole, not only in terms of championships, but again, of that cultural influence and his widespread adoration. Um, yeah, he was definitely one of a kind and this whole series encapsulated it pretty, pretty well. Um, again, we mentioned this several times with sports still gone and the pandemic still surging, the last dance was such like a refuge for many of us sports fans. And it's, you know, it's been like a, a comfy blanket to keep us <laughs> kind of like, you know, warm and, and all this stuff kind of from the realities facing us today. Definitely. And, and I think there, of course there will be other sports documentaries and other 30 for thirties. We even saw a new one for Lance Armstrong and, this one just felt different, a little bit more special, and yeah, I think it will be it will be remembered for what it meant to us, I think, in this kind of unfortunate time that we're living in, and uh, Jordan seems like a good candidate to kind of shine a light of hope on all of us, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, so that's going to wrap it up for our coverage of the last dance again you can watch this on espn espn plus um eventually i think it's going to come to netflix i'm not sure when in the united states um but we do have a quick piece of listener mail um as well to kind of wrap things up um it is from just lost my spot from amanda um, so Amanda 
pretty much wrote to us again on anchor.fm slash coast podcast, or you can tweet at us or message us on Twitter at C2C podcasting. She said that she has seen a lot of interesting behavior of celebrities during this quarantine. And it kind of got her wondering about seeing videos of celebrities in character as someone they've played in the past. She's mentioned Hank Azaria as Jim Brockmeyer. She's talked about Danny McBride making a video as Kenny Powers. Um, so she asked us, what is your dream in character video? And I think hmm. that's a very good question, Amanda. Yeah. I don't, you know, I, I'm not one to dream or fantasize about <laughs> like these types of character videos. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did recently get finished watching Birdcage um, starring Robin Williams, Nathan Lane, and notably Hank Azaria, who you also mentioned, Amanda, mm-hmm. for his role in Brockmire. And he definitely portrayed one of my favorite characters as Agador Spartacus, the sort of flamboyant, <laughs> lisping, like Argentinian uh, house like keeper. Um, and I've also, I actually just subscribed to Masterclass, which I've found to be really enjoyable. And there's tons of really fun content on there. Um, but I could just imagine like an Agador Spartacus masterclass on like keeping the home of like a Miami socialite. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm sure there'd be some pretty good nuggets in there. So if I had to choose, it would probably be that one. Yeah. Um, how about you? I don't know. I didn't really get a whole lot of time to think about it. I think, <laughs> um, so I, I I used to be a really big fan of Mad Men. I really okay. enjoyed that show, and Roger Sterling for Mad Men was one of my favorite characters in that show. <laughs> and I would like to see how he kind of deals with like a quarantine, like both in like the 1960s setting of the show, um, and and if we like transported him to present day. Right. I don't. Know, I just I just had this image in my head of him. Like chain smoking on a fancy couch, wearing like a crisp suit, and just like guzzling a whole bunch of like gin, scotch um, or whatever. Yeah, maybe maybe that. I don't know. I've seen a lot of also videos on Twitter of Matthew McConaughey kind of making these like yeah. PSAs, and he's like always he's always in, in character. character because yeah. he's always <laughs> playing himself. Uh, but yeah because like matthew mcconaughey you don't like see him and think of a character he played like you don't think oh he was so i, I can't even think of a character mickey just in, like, like an amalgamation of each other yeah the dude from the lincoln lawyer it's just like you see <laughs> you see matthew mcconaughey and you uh i don't know so i guess matthew mcconaughey would be cool although he's already been yeah. kind of giving these psas and uh i know i i saw some of those psas the other day and i was just thinking like He's so interesting because he just plays this like parody of himself. I, mm-hmm. yeah, I wonder if he's like that, just like as like off camera behind closed yeah. doors. If he's like that, you know? Yeah. Huh. Interesting. But yeah. Anyway, thanks, thanks Amanda for that. That was an yeah. interesting question. That was a fun um, one. Um. So I guess yeah. If there was nothing else, um, this episode, you know, we kind of, um are going to move back to our more structured type settings mm-hmm. after this. You know, we had the two exclusive dives with Westworld and then the last dance. Um, 
so we kind of didn't really have a structure for this one. So was there anything else you wanted to talk about? Um, we are at like 35 minutes, so we still have a couple minutes if you wanted to talk about um, anything else you're watching or any, you have any recs for anyone out there? Honestly, I've enjoyed this cop spins thing that we've been doing so much. I would definitely recommend if you go to Amazon Prime Video, you can buy a season of cops for like, I think it's eight bucks. And mm. there's like 40 episodes, I think. It's so worth it like i would totally <laughs> recommend that first of all um and then i mentioned masterclass earlier um it's pretty expensive i think it was like 140 for the year mm-hmm. um but you can sort of share login information like a netflix account um and previously they were doing like a buy one membership gift another one to a friend for free mm-hmm. um and i'd imagine there are probably going to be similar offers like that in the future so i'd keep an eye out um, for those, because there's really interest, like there's just such a wide range of subjects, whether it's, uh, like I'm taking Daniel Negrano's, uh, poker masterclass. Steph Curry has a basketball masterclass. Um, my girlfriend, Shannon has been doing like an interior design one. Um, so if you're kind of looking for ways to fill the time while you're in quarantine and I know one way I've been trying to fill the time is like learning new things, um, exploring new skills or hobbies um this is definitely a really good way to do that nice yeah yeah for me um so i recently started watching defending jacob it is an apple tv plus drama it stars chris evans michelle dockery and Jaden martell and it's about a seemingly perfect family that may or may not be harboring a killer. I'm not going to go into like too many details. Um, but I was just kind of flipping through. I ended up getting Apple TV plus for free for a year because of some stuff that we do with the podcast and with purchasing a brand new Apple TV myself. I actually got the same thing. I think for getting a new iPhone. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, defending Jacob, it's like a mini series. There's only like eight episodes. I think the eighth one actually comes out this Friday. Um, it was just a nice little like weekend. I watched with my my parents, just kind of trying to figure out the crime and yeah, it's just interesting to watch like in a long like a, a binge watch. Sure. Maybe over a weekend. Right. Um, so that's cool. good. Chris Evans. Chris Evans is cool. Um, Jade Martell is kind of weird. A weird kid. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, and then Michelle Dockery. If you've seen Downton Abbey, she's in Downton Abbey, so she's pretty well, um, well versed as well. Nice. Yep. But for now, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of the Coast to Coast podcast. Again, thanks for listening. Please remember to leave a review. Five stars is great. Share and subscribe. And for now, we will talk at you next time. See you then. Bye.